0: rather than being willing to set aside all rights to build the kingdom of God and thus give your cloak? Do you fear and retaliate against government oppression or do you see it as an opportunity to win unbelievers to Christ by graciously serving your oppressors and going the second mile? And do you worship security, comfort and pleasure? Or do you hold everything God has given you lightly, looking for opportunities to give to others in a way that brings glory to God and thus you can give and love? That's the challenge from our passage is deep and yet it is something that god has given us the grace to do. Let's
1: pray. hello and welcome again to grace maryville weekly which is a podcast ministry of grace community church located in downtown maryville tennessee the sermon you are about to hear is a part of a sermon series presented by Pastor Chris Riser from the book of Matthew. Pastor Chris has sought to demonstrate that Jesus is the King, which is the overall theme of the book of Matthew. It is our goal to provide messages on Monday and Friday, weekly from the pulpit at Grace Community Church, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, and to call everyone to repent and believe. Let's listen now as Pastor Chris works exegetically through the text.
0: See, it's not even possible to give physically to everyone who asks because there's just too many people who ask. But we certainly could give the gospel and we could give as much physically as was appropriate and right for the time. And we did because that's, that's the fourth thing here. We are not required to give when it would be harmful to others. Now be careful here. Because depending on your upbringing, your mindset, your politics, it might be very easy for you to say, well, <laughs> that means I don't give anything to anyone because to give any handout would be harmful. Careful. Like the Bible says that. And I don't, I don't think it's the, the spirit, the, the heart behind, certainly behind this command. I mean, when we went to Mexico, I took groups of teens down to Mexico for 10 years when I was a youth pastor in, in Missouri. And we would take them down and I'm one of the poorest places, one of the poorest cities around. 22 million people packed into, I mean, it's not much bigger than the Knoxville. 22 million, and there's poor people everywhere. And You try to walk through the squares downtown, hundreds of beggars. Also hundreds of markets with people selling things. And so my kids would go and they'd been told, and, and rightly so. We would said, be careful what you give. And depending on which kid it was, some were a little more tight with their stuff. And they're like, I'm not giving anything to any of those beggars. And, and one of the reasons is, and this is probably true, that most of the begging is a racket. There is someone who, who runs each little ring and they take money from those who are doing the begging. You know, you've got the poor child there who desperately needs it. And the person you, you give to him and someone takes it from him, that happens the bottom line was this I said you, you can either go home and having, having given a little bit having set aside some to give even though you know it's all of it's not going to get to that person or you can come home loaded with trinkets which would you prefer now get something for your parents get something for but do not come home loaded with trinkets and say well I wouldn't give to him because that might not be good so we need to be careful of that mindset However, it is true that there are times when you give, if you were to give to someone and he were to go spend it on drugs or alcohol, which is oftentimes the case in our particular society, on the nature of the poor that we have, that that might not be wise. And so you need to be careful. In fact, I think there's a biblical principle that applies when it comes to giving generally in 2 Thessalonians 3.10. It says, for even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. You see, in Thessalonica, there were those who uh, believed that the coming of Christ was near and they, they had spotted it, they knew, they could tell it's, it's coming within the next couple of months or maybe the year so they stopped working and they were just freeloading off other members of the church this is great, Christ is coming, we'll proclaim that to everyone while you provide for us and maybe even they were saying something like, didn't our Savior say that you are to give of those who ask, who knows if they weren't using some kind of mindset, because I hear that in the church believe me, I hear it you're supposed to give, come on uh, we have need, why aren't you giving to us well, 2 Thessalonians 3.10, Paul says, Even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, he is not to eat either. There are times when giving to someone when they ought to be working is not the thing to do. He goes on to say, For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now, such persons, we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in a quiet fashion and eat their own bread. There are times for that. Be careful, though it's not applied in every situation and it is not your. that's not your first thought for everyone that asks something of you well go work We need to be much more careful than that but I do want you to know that clearly I think scripture does not command you to do those four things to give to the point of impoverishing yourself to give everything that is asked to give physical resources to everyone who asks or anyone and to give if it would be actually harmful to others we need to have wisdom in this area but as with each of these what this does mean is far more challenging. Most of you probably came in here aware of those things, and the bent of your heart generally is towards what it does not mean. So you already pretty much had that covered. I know I'm not supposed to give when it's foolish. Again, that tends to be. Now, for some of you, it is a little different. You, you've misunderstood this command, and so you, you just give whenever, and you harm your family or other things. People do that. It's probably, not, it's probably not the default mode. It does happen. So either way, this can be a problem. But, you guys, what this does mean is challenging beyond belief. As with each, really, of the others, this means a gracious, forgiving heart towards those who have wronged you. And here, since we've talked about most of the other principles involved, I want to just dive a little bit deeper on the principle that would be necessary in order for you to be willing to give of your hard-earned resources to someone who is who evilly asking of you. If you don't learn how to forgive, if you don't know how to graciously extend the forgiveness of God towards those who wrong you, you are never going to give them money. You are never going to provide financial resources for them if you cannot extend forgiveness to them. Don't think you'll be able to extend something else and not forgive. At least you won't be able to give to them properly. You won't give with a proper attitude, even if you do. One of the truest tests of whether we maintain a soft, loving heart is if we are willing to part with our resources to benefit an enemy out of a heart of love and forgiveness for the sins that they have committed against us. Turn to Colossians 3. This was already read this morning, and it's just a good reminder to us. See, if you don't understand certain things about being a kingdom citizen, then you will not be able to be generous with your resources, and again, in particular, to those who harm you. You're not going to be generous fully in any way, but certainly not to those who harm you. If you don't understand how to forgive or why you forgive, Colossians 3.12. So then, and this really speaks to so then, is because you've been made new in Christ. So then, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. You will not forgive others. You will not have a heart of compassion and kindness towards your enemies unless you understand that God from before the beginning of time has has chosen you, that He's placed His love upon you. That as His child, He has not only chosen to love you and bring you into His family, but He has also given you the righteousness of Christ and then given you the Spirit of God so that you can live out holiness. You see, when you must have love from others, when you must have resources from others, when you must be getting things from others, then when they don't give them to you, you are angry, frustrated, and bitter. When you understand that you have all of the resources that you need in Christ, you have all the love, as it were, that you need. He's already given it to you in Christ. He has given you the love that He has for His own beloved Son. That's why He can call you that you are holy and beloved because you are in Christ. Then what more do you need? You don't need to get it from us. Now, I'm not saying that you don't desire love from others. You don't, in relationship, want to have good relationships with them. You do. But the only firm foundation you have for that, so that you can forgive them and love them and give to them, even when they give nothing to you, is if you remember that you have been chosen of God, that you are holy, that you are beloved. And again, that is because of Christ. You are in Christ, and as God loves His Son, therefore He loves you, and as much as He loves His Son, He loves you. This is not in doubt, this is not in question; this is a matter of faith. You believe it, and you don't have to feel it, you believe it, because God has acted towards you in this way, so then you will be able to put on this kind and gracious heart towards even an enemy which says, "I'll give my stuff to you because i don't have I don't have to have your friendship." your love even in order to give to you. I don't have to have it. I would, I would love to have it. I'd love to make peace with you. But I can do that. I can give to you before that's even the case because God has loved me and because he's enabled me to be holy. You see, we oftentimes do our good deeds or we wait to do them until someone is good to us. as kind of a means, the, the power that we have to do it. If you do good to me, I'll do good back to you. We use their holiness as a means to be holy. That's wrong. It is God's holiness that we use as a means to be holy. Good things back towards you are not the reason that you are good. You are good because God is good, and he's been good to you, and he's given you his goodness, and he's given you his good works to do. You must understand this, or we will never do. We will never forgive. We will never be able to work past hating our enemies ultimately or being at arm's length with them, and we will certainly not give them of our lives, of our resources, or even ultimately of the gospel. Forgiveness and love flow from God's forgiveness and love. And this is is with Christ as the goal. We are to forgive how? As we have been forgiven. We forgive as we were forgiven in Christ. All of this is to put Christ on display. If you were forgiven by him, then you forgive in that same way and you make that clear to others. "I'm I'm forgiving you as I have been forgiven. Christ forgave me and you know what? He can forgive you. My forgiveness even isn't sufficient. And so even an enemy can receive, then, money from you, things from you as you speak to him of the great salvation you have received in Christ, which is far greater than the money that you are willing to give. A generous... So that's A. A gracious, forgiving heart towards those who have wronged you. But next, the next part of this principle, probably moving our way outwards, that's the most difficult. Gracious, forgiving heart to one who has wronged you so you can give. Next, and and probably the next step away... Is generous willing heart to meet the needs of those who cannot benefit you it may be that they haven't even harmed you directly but as we work outwards in this manner of giving the, the next most challenging level is that you would give to those who can profit you nothing even if they haven't actively harmed you you know you're not going to get anything back from them you're not going to be able to utilize that giving to manipulate them into some particular thing or even just to receive back as much or or, or maybe get interest whatever it might be We must be willing, uh, we must have a generous heart which says, I would long to give to you even if you couldn't and can't do anything in return. And that's the Luke 6 passage I already read. Even sinners can lend to those who are just going to give back to them. Even sinners can give love to those who are just going to love them back. We as kingdom citizens say, I will give to you when I know you can't give me anything and that that can that I mean, we're not and here we're not simply talking the gospel we're also talking your physical resources I'll give that to you and I know I can't get anything back from you because God has given me enough what I have even physically guys even physically is sufficient as well as spiritually Again, this does not mean that every request for money is to be honored, but that no request is to be denied from arrogance, hard-heartedness, pride, greediness, or selfishness. An exhortation to have a genuine attitude of love and provision for the poor. And by the way, this was totally foreign to the Pharisees who claimed to be so self-righteous. In fact, their entire system, even the temple system of worship, was set up to abuse the poor and get money for themselves. Why do you think Jesus walks into the temple and casts out the money changers? Who was benefiting? The Pharisees. They were, they were, their whole lifestyle was built on the backs of the poor. They laughed. Later on, we'll, we'll discuss that when Jesus said, you're not supposed to love money, they just laughed in his face. What are you talking about? Money is a, is a sign that God has blessed us. And so we're going to get as much as we can. Have you heard that anywhere before? You find a lot of TV stations that will tell you that. Psalm 112, verse 5 says this, It is well with the man who is gracious and lends. He will maintain his cause in the judgment. That is, God will maintain his cause in the judgment, for he will not be shaken. The righteous will be remembered forever. He will not fear evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is upheld. He will not fear until he looks with satisfaction on his adversaries, he will give freely to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted in honor. This speaks of both physical and spiritual resources, both. You can't separate them out, really. You just have to determine when and how you give each. But there's a third principle that I think underlies all of this, and it really it moves us all the way out from giving to an enemy to giving to someone who cannot benefit us to giving to anyone. I think we can extend that here. And if you're going to do any of that, you're going to have to have a thankful, contented heart with what God has given you. You will not give to anyone, certainly not an enemy, and certainly not one who can give you nothing, and not even to one who has actual need, unless you are content with what you have. Because in our lack of contentment, we clutch the things we have, trying to get even more, and we pass over those who have need. We've kind of convinced ourselves that even here in America, there's no need. And so we accumulate resources for ourselves. Now, I want to be careful here. There's much biblical balance that we bring to this. And I certainly don't have time to do all of that this morning. But in this idea of contentment, I just want to give you a couple verses and a couple of principles. Turn now to 1 Timothy 6 that we already read to really give us kind of the, the foundation of, of this idea of being contented and how that's a blessing. 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 6. Paul is speaking to Timothy, talking to him about really false teachers who are trying to get rich on things that are done in the church. But then he broadens it out in verse 6, and he says this, godliness actually is a means to great gain. See, they were using a supposed godliness to get money. But Paul is saying, look, if you really are godly, that actually is a means to great gain when it's accompanied by contentment. Now, well, you all know that already. I mean, you wouldn't be sitting here, you're like, Chris, we know that, come on. Look at the next verse, though. What does it mean to be content? says, we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it either. Ron and I were talking the other day about how we're going to survive the, the coming difficulties, which may well get very difficult. How can we prepare? This is how you prepare. You brought nothing into the world. You can take nothing out of it. If they take everything from you, then you're only back to ground zero. And in fact, everything that you really need has been what? It's been sent ahead of. It's the only way you're actually going to survive the things that happen, whether they get difficult or whether we get prosperous and rich and all those things again, and, and the government turns around and we have a revival, all those things would be wonderful. But this is still the only way you're going to survive if you're content with what you have. If you know that you brought nothing in, so you're going to take nothing out, so what's here doesn't matter in that sense. Now, what, what's, the, what's the litmus test for what you're supposed to be content with? Verse 8, if we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. That's the bottom line. Now, all of you had meals this week. I'm I'm pretty sure. If you didn't have meals, it's because you refused. Everybody had a couple meals. All of you are clothed. That's a great blessing in in every way. But it's also a necessary blessing, is it not? We're not supposed to be unclothed. The Bible says that. And additionally, we need our clothing in order to perform the functions that we're going to have. You need those things. Beyond that, what do you need? The Bible says nothing. I understand that we need cars to get to work and other things, as the Lord has put us in that situation, but fundamentally that's what we are to be content with. How content are you? I'll raise my hand. I'm not particularly content. I really would like to have more things than that. And yet if I can function in that level, at that level and understand that even some certainly don't get all the food and don't have all the clothing they want, just enough to live, just enough to barely clothe themselves, seems to be fundamental. Guys, How content are we? And when we are content with that, then you can give to others. Then you can freely give of yourself because you don't need the other stuff. goes on, verse 8, But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and are trapped. And notice, want to get rich, in comparison to the, in the context, what does that mean? They want more than food and clothing. Yikes! Again, it's a hard attitude. I understand that we all have more than food and clothing. It doesn't mean we're all wanting to get rich. Because that's where it starts to drive. I got food and clothing, so now let's build American dream. Need the car. Need the house. Need the next house. Need the next car. Need the next clothes. Need the next vacation. Up and up and up. We we want to get. This is our our driving desire. Guys, Bible has nothing to say about being rich, as far as that. That's something evil. It isn't. Lots of rich people in the Bible. Lots of them. Well, some of them. <laughs> Most of them weren't. But nonetheless, that's not the issue. It's wanting to get rich. They fall into temptation and trap. many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. He gets at the heart of it in verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And we're quick to jump on that in America. See, It's the love of money. It's not actually having it. That's true. But the two kind of go hand in hand. You got a lot of it. You tend to love it. Be careful. I don't really love it. I just revel in it. I don't know what you would say. Be careful with that. That's true. The love of it is the problem. Not having it, not having a big house or a nice car or nice clothes, that's not the issue. The issue is why did you get it? How do you hold it? I know that, but oh, it's so hard to work these things out. The love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You see, it it's not actually a benefit. Getting all that stuff is actually worse for you than better when you love it, when that's the thing you're pursuing. It harms you even more. It's not to your benefit. And you can be poor in love money or rich in love money. Either way, it harms you. And you're never going to give as God would have you give to those in need. Of your time, of your spiritual resources, or of your physical resources. We need to be content. Now, I'm gonna, we're going to do another principle here in just a minute from verse 11. But let me, just so we're not, so we're not, don't misunderstand. Again, it isn't the, necessarily the lack of, of physical things or or having much of them, that's the issue. Paul says in Philippians 4, he says, "...not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, physical circumstances, right, both difficult as well as not having very much. But I also know how to live in prosperity, good circumstances and lots of stuff." In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can handle riches. I can handle nothing because those things don't matter. Either the circumstance nor the stuff is what's important. The work that I'm doing for the Lord is what's, what matters. I mean, Elisa and I went to Walmart, that great paragon of, of stuff, and we brought home a kind of a little mini entertainment center yesterday. You had to hold a TV. All the while, I'm trying to work through this passage. Am I content with what I have? Should I really be doing this? But all of those are good things to ask. We felt like it was right before the Lord that we could spend our money in that way for for a variety of reasons. But we had to think about it. It's not something you just do. You think about what you purchase. You consider where you are so that you're doing it for the right kinds of reasons and not for the love of money or stuff or possessions. But Paul says, look, I can be content either way. If i got lots, as long as that's where the Lord has put me, I'm happy. I got nothing, as long as I know, you know I'm serving the Lord, that's what matters. Back in 1 Timothy 6, here's the principle. Don't love money, love ministry. Yeah, look at verse 11. But flee from these things, that's the love of money and wanting to get rich. You man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Notice what he does not say. Pursue full-time missions. Go to seminary and become a full-time pastor. Now, Timothy was a full-time pastor. <laughs> But that you don't have to pursue that. What you have to pursue is godly character and work, as it were, for the kingdom of God in the church of God. Fight the good fight of the faith, he says. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called in the presence of, and when you made the good confession, in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and to Christ Jesus who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep the commandment without spot or blame or stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ pursue holiness pursue the work of the ministry through the kingdom of or in the kingdom of God through in our day and age the church of God and then you will you can you can live in prosperity you can live with nothing and you will be willing to give even to those who harm you don't love money love ministry love the character of God fleshed out through you in ministering to others through God's church because that's the means of ministry because that changes everything then you can give up things then you don't have to have stuff then you can have stuff and use it wisely and well for the the kingdom of God think how many rich people even in the New Testament were helping Jesus as he went from place to place he had no place to lay his head but he had to lay his head somewhere so somebody had a house for him to live in that's a wonderful thing so again the issue is don't love the money love the ministry and when you do you can give to those who ask and loan to those who want a loan you'll be able to do this how are you doing? How are, you, how are you clutching your resources? Maybe this is the hardest one. Not maybe, yeah, Probably not too many of you under legal battle. Some of you might be. Yeah, under government oppression, but you guys, man, that might be coming. But not so much. But every one of us every day is challenged to give to those who have need, both physically and spiritually. And particularly, even, even to do that in areas and in, in parts of our life where people are hostile to us. So we need a purpose to give generously. It's funny in that passage, he goes back. It's almost like he, he says, don't love money, love ministry. And oh, by the way, if you're rich, make sure you got my point. Verse 17, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited. Oh, we're so conceited. Look what I did. And the next time you're driving down the road and you do like I do, we're like, eh, this, my car's going pretty well and my house is pretty nice and we just mowed the lawn and it looks pretty good. guys." Oh, that's fine. But you kind of, man, look, look what I've done. I've done well for myself. I mean, that's as evil as Pornography considering that I'm for myself, it's the same kind of, it's, it's it's the same nature of sin a lustfulness, got to put that away or, or you're going to get led away by it and say, Lord, thank you for what I have it's such a blessing, don't be conceited that you somehow did this, just ask yourself this question, who caused you to be born in America? Not you who gave you life and breath to do one good thing or have one act of diligence? God so guys, don't be conceited or to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain uncertainty of riches but to put your hope in God I love this who richly provides us with things to enjoy you don't have to feel guilty about the joy of living in Maryville and East Tennessee and having a nice house to go home to but you better not be conceited you need to hold those things lightly instruct them then to do good to be rich in good works to be generous and willing to share what's that ministry? good works that God has prepared beforehand that you use your money to do and what will you do? Storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future. That's the real treasure you need. I love this. So that they may take hold of the life that is life indeed. Because you're living here, but it's not where it ends. So don't build your kingdom here and give it away. Give to people. Give what you can. Pour out in blessing towards them in your time, in your ministry, in your finances. Pour it out. Because this is a Life. And that's the only way you can do any of these things Jesus said. It's the only way to respond to personal insult and and legal oppression and governmental oppression and then malicious solicitation, people asking you for things even as an enemy, is if you are dying to self, understanding that your life is not here. It is to come. That's what you are living for. George Mueller, as he wrestled with living a life given to the Lord, he said this, There was a day when I died when I died utterly to George Mueller to his opinions his preferences his tastes and his will I died to the world to its approval and its censure I died to the approval or blame of even my brethren and friends and since then I've studied only to show myself approved unto God so in closing I just have several questions which relate four questions which relate to each of the four examples so let me just leave you with this are you easily offended And quick to hold a grudge, or do you seek peace and restoration by turning the other cheek? Do you continually consider and cling to your own rights rather than being willing to set aside all rights to build the kingdom of God and thus give your cloak? Do you fear and retaliate against government oppression, or do you see it as an opportunity to win unbelievers to Christ by graciously serving your oppressors and going the second mile? And do you worship security, comfort, and pleasure? Or do you hold everything God has given you lightly, looking for opportunities to give to others in a way that brings glory to God, and thus you can give and loan? That's the challenge from our passage. It's deep, and yet it is something that God has given us the grace to do. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the challenge of your word. I thank you for the privilege of being a citizen in your kingdom. And I pray that you would help us by your grace, in your power, and for your glory. To take up the challenge to respond properly to personal insult to where an evil is done against us in any way any of the ways that you so so powerfully taught upon or that we would be willing to respond in a godly way overcoming evil with good and ultimately proclaiming the greatness of your kingdom in your precious name Lord Jesus. Amen.
1: Thank you for joining us again on Grace Maryville Weekly. These messages are just a small collection of sermons that have been presented at Grace Community Church in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. If you would like to learn more about Grace Community Church, where Pastor Chris serves as an elder and pastor, please visit us online at gracemaryville.org. Again, that is gracemaryville.org. There, not only will you be able to find out more about the many ministries at Grace, but you will also be able to access a full audio archive of messages not only presented by Pastor Chris, but also messages presented to our women's ministry, youth ministry, and college-aged ministries, as well as the Sola and Essentials Conferences hosted at Grace. We invite you to visit us online And we hope that you will join us again next time as Pastor Chris continues to exegetically work through the book of Matthew. Until then, remember that Jesus is the King and the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ.